Thanks for tuning in to the Glossy Podcast. I'm your host, Jill Manoff, and today I sit down with Drew Green, CEO and president of custom suiting company Indochino. Now, this is no mom and pop tailor. Indochino has grown by leaps and bounds since it launched in 2015 and plans to hit 100 store locations this year. I wanted to ask Drew about how the company has fared in the last two years as sweats ruled wardrobes and events ceased to exist. I also wanted to dig into its expansion plans, including to women's wear. It's about damn time. (laughs) Welcome, Drew. So nice to be here. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Excited to have you. Excited to talk suits. See, ladies like suits too, Drew. Why now? <laughs> What's going on? I know. I know. I, I, I like without exaggeration, I have gotten the question hundreds of times, you know, when are you going to launch women's? Um, when can we, you know, when can we kind of come in and, and get suited up? And, you know, the fact is, is that we've had thousands and thousands of women come in to get suits at Indochino and to get other apparel. Um, but we really wanted to make sure that the timing was right uh, for us as a business. You know, we've become the largest custom apparel company in the world. Uh, you mentioned our growth since 2015, going to eclipse a hundred showrooms this year, nine figures in revenue for several years. And um, we just felt like we needed to be the best in the world at, at that first uh, before you know, expanding into women's and we wanted to do it right. Uh, you know, women deserve our best foot forward. And, uh, you know, we've really spent a lot of time uh, and are excited to to bring this to market in 2022. For sure. Well, for those who don't know the company well, I we've given a little brief, brief explanation, but um, the main idea made to measure fit to a T great suits. What did I miss here? Wow, that was that's that's pretty great. I like simple, and that was very uh, very eloquent and, and and simply put. I mean, it is it is what you say. Um, you know, maybe taking a different perspective. If you think about, you know, the problem, um, we solve a huge problem with an apparel. You know, you go into a store or you order online, and you you get your garment, and you know what, it doesn't fit, or it doesn't fit perfectly. And you know, we wanted to solve that, and so we felt. Um, the legacy of bespoke, you know, getting fitted, getting measured, choosing your own sort of one of a kind garment. We product kind of brought that into uh, the 21st century, so to speak, and you know, really wanted to focus making custom available for everyone. And you know, in that affordability was was a really big focus. And so, you know, we feel like we provide tremendous value uh, overall right? It's a, it's an amazing experience, whether you're in showroom or, or online ordering, um, the actual garment is very, very high quality. Once you've, once you've made it or once you put it together and we make it and ship it to you in two to three weeks. Um, and the price is affordable, right? And we felt like that was important because we don't want to just serve hundreds or thousands. We want to serve millions of customers around the world, which is what we've done. Yes. I love the little tool that you have in your homepage where you can kind of um, shift the bar left and right to see a store-bought suit versus a made-to-measure suit. There is nothing worse than an ill-fitting suit, let me just say. And are you finding that, I mean, does it just take a guy to try on a something that's that's made-to-measure to, to see the difference and to understand, um, yeah, the price difference? First of all, is the big... The big thing to you, like I'm sure the shoulders and all of that, there's nothing worse. Everybody's pants are too long. (laughs) 
<laughs> but talk, talk me through it. What does it take to sell them on, on a fitted suit? I think, I mean, I've talked to thousands of customers through the years and still, you know, get emails every day and, and go back and forth. I, I think what I, you know, consistently hear is that once a customer, you know, gets to experience creating a one of a kind garment, which is essentially what we do at scale, um, they, they never want to go back. Right. It, it, it is different, as you said, um, you know, having something that fits really well. And so, you know, we have a very, very loyal base of customers. Um, every time we introduce the brand to new customers or almost every time, um, they just kind of fall in love with the experience and the, and the notion again of like, you know, having this one of a kind garment, cause you know, we do more than suits. So we've got, you know, suiting is what we're known for, but we've got outerwear, we've got casual. And of course we're going to launch into women's apparel. Um, and yeah, it's just a, it's just a great experience that, that our customers really, really love and never kind of go back to off the rack or, or ready to wear. Yeah, I was just going to ask you about customer loyalty. Is there some sort of a loyalty program or not even necessary? <laughs> you know, not not yet. I mean, we've, we've contemplated it for years. I kind of like the Four Seasons model. Um, you know, I, I understand the benefits of, you know, actually having points or cash back or, you know, all the different mechanisms within a loyalty program. But where we've really invested for loyalty is the actual experience. And so... You know, as you as you mentioned, you know we, you know, have expanded significantly since 2015 uh, in a in an omni-channel manner. Before that, we were online only, and we just felt like if we could really nail the experience side of it, make it fun, make it interesting, make it, make it memorable, that would actually, you know, be the loyalty mechanism. And that's kind of what Four Seasons does, right? They don't have points, they don't have cash back. They just provide a world-class experience. Well, we mentioned early on the price. Um, do you lead with price? Do you lead with fit um, in terms of your marketing? Uh, what works to to acquire customers? Yeah, I mean, we do. We are a, a very large marketer from a media dollar standpoint. Um, you know, I've always had the philosophy as we've you know, built businesses the last 20 years of my career, you know, not to be overweighted in one channel. Or two channels and so we're very diversified you know everything from podcasts uh you know through to you know team sponsorships like the yankees the la rams the boston red sox hundreds of athletes and celebrities you know from from our standpoint though one of the things that we felt was really important was you know this this discrepancy that people had oh if i if i'm gonna get a bespoke suit or you know, bespoke overcoat or khakis that are bespoke, it's going to be really expensive. And so we've needed to lead with price a little bit to make sure that consumers know that it's affordable, right? Um, and, you know, that's worked quite well uh, because, you know, again, for us, the value chain is more than just, you know, the quality of the garment or the experience. You've got to have price, you know, as part of that equation. For sure. You mentioned um, LA Rams. Hey, I'm a fan, but also I'm also a fan of this <laughs> Instagram um, called League Fits, and it shows guys like walking to the locker room and their their look. I'm just like yeah. obsessed with it. Tell me about the effectiveness, I guess, of an athlete wearing your clothes. Who makes a fitting partner for you? Um, yeah, I, I also know you're dressing everyone from like the broadcasters on the Olympics. Like you've got you've got a wide range. 
Yeah, we literally have hundreds of athletes and celebrities and broadcasters and, you know, people that are, you know, supporting the brand that really love the brand. That's, you know, for us, it's it's a couple things. I think number one, you know, we want to make sure that when we work with someone that they actually love the experience, that they love what they're getting. And that's universal across everybody we work with uh, from Trevor Lawrence, you know, who was the number one draft pick all the way through to a musician or, or a celebrity, or as you mentioned, a broadcaster. And so the, the universal, you know, element of how we work with celebrities or personalities is, is that they really love the brand. They really love the experience. They really love what they're wearing. Um, and then the second thing is really just consistency, right? You know, doing it once, doing it half a dozen times, a dozen times, it doesn't work in terms of your question of effectiveness. You've got to be kind of all in. And that's why when we, you know, when we work with teams or celebrities or athletes, we like to do it long term and we like to continue to do it and uh, and really get, get them involved with the brand. And it's worked very well. Awesome. It makes sense. You also mentioned the experience um, of, of getting fitted, getting your suit, the in-store experience, um, you know. Retail workers are not hard to come by. Tell me about the um, if you've the challenges you've had in terms of not only getting people um, to work in stores, but people who are experts or who can become experts. I'm sure there's a lot of training involved. You nailed it. I mean, you know, we take a lot of pride in um, the fact that we have a very different retail experience. Right? It's appointment based. Um, you're coming in the store. You're creating a one-of-a-kind garment, but then you're walking out and you don't have anything, right? Because we're actually then going to go make it very quickly and ship it to you. And so, you know, we knew that as we expanded into retail and we we were cautious, right? I think 2015, we launched six or seven stores. And then the next year, we kind of paused, refined the model. Um, and now we'll be well over 100 stores this year you know, we really thought training was important because at the end of the day, you know, they're representing the brand. Uh, those, those, those people are representing our brand every day. And so we do invest a lot of time in training. And as you can imagine, it's a one hour appointment. So you kind of have to know what you're doing to really help the customer. And so uh, we've got a, we've got an amazing team uh, in retail. We've got amazing team in China. We've got an amazing team here in Canada at head office. And, and I'm just grateful for that because that's how you win, right? It, it starts with with people and a great team. Yeah. Did your um, store model evolve over time? Because I know you're doing, yeah, showrooms. That's Maybe that was always part of it, but also kind of a smaller format. I feel like everybody maybe is learning um, what's necessary in a store and are following your lead now as, <laughs> as they're, I don't know, tightening budgets and, and reevaluating things. But yeah, tell me about the, the evolution of the model. You know, I think like any good business, our our model and our business evolves every week, right? We're we're continuously we're committed to continuous improvement, and so what that means is that you know we're always learning, we're always taking customer feedback, we're always you know enhancing our technology, our training, you know our retail footprint, all the things that are involved and that we're getting feedback on to continuously make it, make it better. So for sure, it's changed quite a bit since 2015 the things that haven't changed that i think are admired quite a bit by you know uh, our peers in retail is that number one we're appointment based so you know whether we're in a mall or high street or or in a nordstrom you know it's a destination 
right? You're making an appointment for Wednesday afternoon or Saturday morning or Sunday late afternoon, and you're going into the store. You're not just kind of walking by. You, you It's a destination. And so, you know, our appointment model is a really important part of our success, how we manage retail labor, how we're so efficient on that side. Um, we're virtual inventory. So, you know, when we open, we're opening eight showrooms in February uh, 2022, uh, which is going to be a, a busy month. But we don't have inventory. So we don't, you know, like most stores, you know, they'd have to put two, four or $500,000 worth of inventory into a launch. We don't have to do that. And then finally, you know, it's, it's, it's very interwoven in technology. So our online experience is essentially, you know, duplicated in retail, except it's full serve, right? You have a style guide to help you, you know, place that order. And so um, that's very different as well. Yes. Is the um, catering to, to guys for all these years. Um, I'm just wondering if there's more to it. I just picture another Nordstrom partner, which I know you are as well, like Trunk Club, and you go in and it's very wood and have a whiskey and <laughs> everything's very masculine. But anyway, um, yeah. How are you, I guess, serving them well, I guess, catering to them? Yeah. I mean, we, I think we've got an amazing, uh, you know, design to our showrooms. It's very simple. We're not you know, musky and, and woody and uh, <laughs> whiskey. Uh, we're, we're very, you know, we, we like simple, right. And, um, you know, the showrooms are frankly beautiful, but they're very simple. Um, and, you know, to your point or to your last question, you know, our format continues to change. So we've got showrooms that are almost 5,000 square feet. And with Nordstrom, you know, we've got showrooms that are three, four and 500 square feet. And so, um, you know, I think the the design is obviously really important, but it's that experience you have with a style guide that really hits home, um, you know, more than anything. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Is tapping into the the female audience. Are, are a lot of guys shopping with their girlfriend, their wife? It just makes sense. Get a mother there. Absolutely. Right. Well, I mean, if you walked into one of our showrooms, I mean, we have thousands and thousands of appointments every week. And when you walk into our showroom, you know, you'll see that, right? You'll see the mom with the son, you know, the wife with the husband, uh, the wife with the wife, right? Uh, getting ready for a wedding or business meeting. And so that's, um, you know, it's it's great that we can do it right, though, because, you know, men's silhouette, which is the framework for how we, you know, build a garment is different than the women's silhouette should be. And so, like I said, man, we just want to do it right. And we're going to continue to learn, continuous learning as our core, uh, take consumer feedback. But it's going to be an exciting time for us because it really opens us up, you know, to, I think, a decade or two of continuous growth. Yeah. Were you marketing to women prior about like shopping for your man or your son or whoever? A little bit, but not, not, not as much. Right. I mean, wedding is a huge market for us. Um, you know, we do tens of thousands of weddings every year, uh, wedding parties. Um, but that'll change. I mean, we've got a marketing budget, you know, to focus on, on communicating to women and, uh, you know, looking forward to that. I think, um, the good news for us in terms of launching women's at this stage in our evolution is that all the hard stuff of creating a custom apparel company, supply chain, retail network, team, all these things are in place for us to to really do it well and scale it quickly. 
We're going to take a quick break. Stay with us. Tell me where you're opening stores in the States. I, I know there, it's not a lot of, some of them are not your, your expected suspects, Kentucky, Alabama, but also adding to New York, California. Um, what, what location makes sense in terms of the city? Uh, that's a really good question. I, you know, when you're a business like ours, you know, you've got to be cautious uh, in terms of how you expand into retail. And so when we first launched, you know, we kind of went to the biggest markets, right? We went, LA, New York, Boston, um, you know, Chicago, all the big markets. And that was our focus. And so, you know, the number one reason why that was our focus is because we had so many online consumers in those markets and the markets are big. As we've gone, what we've noticed is this amazing thing where, you know, pre pre COVID, you know, New York was our biggest market. We've got six showrooms there, uh, not, not counting the surrounding areas. And obviously, it's a very big market. And so it was our number one market. It's no longer our number one market. Uh, you know, some of the southern states now are becoming our number one markets as we've launched three, four, five showrooms in a state. And, you know, we want to we wanna serve as many people as we can with the unique experience we have. So you mentioned Alabama. I'm, I'm a big fan of Alabama. I, I love I love that part of the country and, and obviously the football team, um, you know, I'm looking forward to being there. And, and when we, when we go into a market, we try to become part of the culture, right? Beca- become part of the community. You know, when we launched um, Melrose, which is a beautiful showroom, you know, it was our goal right away to, to see how we could partner with the Rams and, and we're a proud partner with them. And we feel like we're a part of the community now. Very cool. Well, I happen to know, because I am here with my folks in STL, that you just opened within a mall, Plaza Frontenac. It's the fancy mall that Nellie raps about. <laughs> but um, do malls make sense? So malls malls do make sense. You know, we've got really great landlord partnerships in place um, pretty much with every major landlord in the U.S. and Canada. And we really felt like because we were a destination that, you know, the maybe some of the concerns about traffic and you know things shifting online uh wouldn't be the same concern for us because we're drawing people in you know to the showroom through appointments and and marketing and that's proven to be true and that's why we continue to expand through malls and you know nordstrom is not a mall uh they are kind of beside malls or in malls but um you know it's a department store and we've had a lot of success in the last two years of our partnership and we can, we'll continue to expand there. Yeah. Tell me about that partnership. So it's shop and shops in select Nordstrom stores. Yeah. And what else is involved? Yeah. Well, I mean, what's involved is at first it's, it's just a, an amazing relationship. You know, they have an incredible team over there uh, from the executive level all the way through the organization. And we're just, you know, it's, it's been now two years, actually, we were supposed to launch in March of 2020 you can imagine what that was like um and we didn't we delayed it but they're just such an amazing company to work with and and, and have been a great partner um you know as you mentioned we have shop and shops there um one of the unique parts of our partnership with them is free alterations for our customers so you know whether you shop in a nordstrom location or an indochino location or online you can actually bring your garment into nordstrom and get you know your indochino altered to make sure it's perfect and that's you know that's a pretty great thing for our customers and we're really you know happy with that so that's amazing um 
you mentioned China. What, what's your footprint, I guess? Um, international, I know you're in 50 countries, maybe more by now, um, but I would think U.S. is the brunt of it. That's the core customer, the core customer base. Uh, where else are you, are you focusing, I guess? Yeah, almost 80% of our revenues in the U.S. So, you know, we're, we're heavily focused there, Canada being our home country. You know, we're, 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 we're doing really well here. You know, we've flirted with the idea of launching in Australia or Japan or the UK, China, and we will eventually in terms of our showroom format. But right now we're, we're serving those countries online only. Got it. And, uh, you know, there's just so much growth opportunity in North America. We want to make sure we do that right, you know, and, and, and take full advantage of that before we expand further from a, from a retail standpoint. Yes. In the last two years, did did your, I guess, measurement tools, did your fitting tools online, um, were they elevated? Did that always exist? Uh, how are you enabling like the in-store experience online, uh, the, the same type of, I guess, exact fit, all that jazz? Yeah. So there's a couple different parts of that. Number one is we have a custom uh, proprietary retail application that, you know, is on an iPad um, or iPhone, but, but, you know, primarily uh, an iPad where that's continuously being developed, continuously being improved to make sure the style guide um, can frankly capture all of the information accurately. Uh, and it gets transmitted to, to our factories in China, you know, really efficiently and again, really accurately. So there's a lot of work that continuously goes on in our, in our retail application. Um, you know, supply chain in this business, if, if you don't figure out supply chain, you're going to be, you're going to be in trouble, right? Because, you know, we're, we're selling, producing and shipping hundreds and hundreds of thousands of garments, you know, every year. And so all of them are one of a kind. And so if you make an order and I make an order, it's totally different. You know, it's got to go through and it's got to go through, right. And so, um, you know, there's a lot of investment we've made on the supply chain side. We've got an amazing partner in China. We haven't had, you know, knock on wood. Uh, I know I'm not supposed to make noise, but uh, <laughs> we have not had supply chain issues like, you know, retail at large. And, you know, that uh, is a, a lot to do with our model and our partnerships in China. I mean, you have grooms. They need their suit. What a nightmare that would be. <laughs> totally, totally. So when it comes to custom suiting, I could you are you able to maybe dodge some of the supply ch- chain issues in terms of you can't have this fabric now, choose from these fabrics, I guess. Yeah, I mean, luckily our fabrics get ordered, you know, 18, 24 months in advance. So, you know, even when COVID hit, we didn't have any inventory, but we had tens of millions of dollars worth of fabric. And, you know, um, we replenished that, but we've you know, all of our factories are in a geographic area that are, are very close to our, to our factories. Um, and, you know, we're, we've just been really fortunate. I, I don't want to talk about it too much because, you know, maybe something happens that changes it for us, but we've been very <laughs> fortunate uh, that our supply chain has not been disrupted uh, like it has in so many other retail businesses. Thank goodness. I saw headlines that you're looking to appeal to a younger demo, Gen Z maybe, because of this like new buy now, pay pay later partnership with Klarna, which that does appeal to Gen Z. Are you actively going for that that market, that that demo? 
Yeah, I think um, from a payment perspective, we want to give every type of customer, every demographic, you know, the opportunity to pay as they'd like to pay. Um, you know, we built this business through a millennial customer base. So I, I'd say about 65% of our customers are millennial. That's come down since we've, you know, gone into retail in a, in a, in a big way. Um, you know, our garments are kind of geared uh, for the younger bunch, right? To, to really enjoy that, you know, graduation, that wedding, that first date, that 107th date. Um, but, you know, we have a lot of uh, non-millennial, non-Gen Z customers, you know, boomers, Gen X that come in and just love the experience too. So the payment, the, the, the payment option that you mentioned wasn't put in place specifically for that. It was really just to provide optionality. I mean, men are wearing suits on first dates. Where are these men? <laughs> no. <laughs> um, so tell me about, did you guys go more casual in the last two years? Was that um, kind of a fallback plan? I, I, you know, it's so great that you asked that question because we've got a board meeting in a couple of days and I've been scouring through our data and looking at things. And, you know, the business is actually, uh, you know, done quite well through COVID. It's amazing how many suits we've sold. Uh, these last two years, you'd think, you know, with the world sort of stopping and starting and stopping again as it has, people not going into the office. Uh, but the amount of suits that we have sold are actually a higher percentage year after year after year. And so we have a, a tremendous casual wear line, uh, but people just love our suits and they come back again and again for them. So uh, we're going to continue to launch different casual and outerwear options, but you know, the suit is kind of a quarter element of a man's wardrobe and, you know, a woman's wardrobe. And so, you know, whether you have one or 500 like me, uh, you know, you, you, you got to have it. So, um, so yeah. Do you have this spectacular closet? Are you very organized? I do. I'm so organized. I, uh, a little bit, a little bit anal that way. I, I just like things very neat. Even if you look around right now, it's like all organized, but my closet I don't know if it's spectacular, but it's uh, des definitely has a lot of Indochinos and a lot of uh, a lot of shoes, hundreds uh, of shoes. You know, some people podcast in from their closet, and it's just this. I shoulda, coulda, it could have. I'm missing out. I, it's eating my shoulda, coulda, woulda. <laughs> oh my god! But you're but you're at your office. Is all of your your company back at the office? What's going on there? You know, we're keeping it really flexible for our team, right? Um, I think it's been a really hard year. Get away from business for a minute. You know, I think the past couple of years has been really hard for people, right? Um, you know, not being able to see friends and family all the time. Uh, you know, all, all the things that we know that have come with COVID, especially health. We just want to make sure that our, our team feels really well supported. So, you know, there's there's people in here today. Uh, but we let people do it voluntary. If they want to come in, they've got a fantastic place to work. They want to work from home. Uh, we encourage that as well. And I think, you know, the question I get a lot is like, what's going to happen when COVID uh, becomes an endemic versus a pandemic? And then perhaps even just goes away a little bit. You know, we're going to keep a very flexible work culture for people. Um, you know, we're disciplined, we're focused. We're results oriented. We don't need to be in our desks uh, or at our desks to be able to accomplish what we want to accomplish. 
Yeah. Has anything um, significant in the last two years in terms of in-house, maybe some important new hires you've made to, I don't know, um, tap into the company values or anything like that um, in terms of yeah, in-house or maybe the structure? Uh, what are the changes happening there? We've had some really, really great hires the last, um, we actually had two today on the management call that we're talking about on the technology side. We've we've really, really attracted some amazing talent uh, these past couple of years through COVID. Uh, you know, frankly, been able to upgrade some positions, uh, been able to add some people to some new positions. And you know, your 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 question on culture, it's it's been such a a surreal two years, right? Um, I think looking back, you know, I'm 47 years old. I've been in business now for, you know, 22, 23 years. This is the proudest sort of two-year period I've had. And I think we've stayed very consistent as a management team. I think we've, um, you know, taken all of the challenges as opportunities to be better and bigger and, and you know, fulfill our vision and mission. And that I'm really proud of. And the team's really rallied around that consistency and that theme. And, uh, yeah, I'm just really proud of them, man. It's just such a great team. Nice. What can you tell me about your approach to fundraising to date? I think I read in 2018 you were you had reached profitability. <coughs> and I just would love to know about, yeah, the, the balance there in terms of, yeah, ensuring your the strength of the company and, and all that. Yeah, I mean, my approach generally, I'm a, you know, I'm an entrepreneur as much as I am an operator. I've raised over a billion dollars uh, for companies that I've started or led. And, you know, with Indochino, we've raised over a hundred million, uh, you know, life to date. Um, you know, I think it is a good question specific to Indochino. One of the things that I can remember, you know, talking to one of my board members about in 2015 was who's a VC. Uh, and, and a very good friend, I said, Hey, you know what? Like, let's raise money differently. Let's, let's attract and really partner with strategic investors that can propel us operationally that we can benefit up, benefit them operationally, and then also get capital. And we've done a really, really good job of that. You know, we partnered, we had, had a $30 million private placement with, with our manufacturer in China. Uh, they've been just an, a phenomenal partner. They're like family now. Um, and they've benefited from our supply chain. They've also benefited, uh, obviously, as the as the share price has gone up uh, from a private company standpoint. We partnered and took investment from a media company. Um, we partnered and took investment with Mitsui, which is one of the largest trading companies in the world. And although Nordstrom isn't investing uh, capital, I kind of view that in the same light and, and just in terms of the amount of effort they're putting into it. And so that's been a really key to success. I think as an entrepreneur, you have lots of, you know, different choices to make in terms of your capital strategy. And there's nothing wrong with the VC route. There's nothing wrong with private equity, high net worth. Uh, but I've really always had a lot of success on the strategic side and really creating win-wins, you know, with partners of a business. Yes. Walk me through really quickly your your background. What happened? Where were you before Indochino? What brought you here? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've been uh, man, I've been all over the place. So I I grew up in Toronto. Uh, I lived in Singapore and Australia for a couple years after my university degree. University, I started and sold my first business, and then I really just got in the world of technology. And so when I came back from Australia, 
uh, was part and started a, a technology company that we sold to DoubleClick, moved to New York, was in New York for 10 years. Um, you know, I founded, invested and, and shared over 30, 30 companies that are still privately held and another five that are public. Uh, Indochino is just, I, I just love the business. You know, we, we kind of came together in 2015 and, and we just, like I said at the beginning, there's a massive problem right in apparel which is fit and we can solve that and so you know we we are an apparel company but a lot of what we do is kind of a, like a technology company um and uh, it's been a lot of fun and i really love it love it well exciting things to come for 2022 so we're focusing on women more store locations more of a focus on wedding anything i missed there what else you, you're looking forward to i'm just looking forward to having some fun you know, I think uh, I think it's going to be a great year. Our team's really excited about the priorities that we have. And, you know, I think it's going to be a fun year. You know, it's been, I mean, let's not, you know, let's not forget this last couple of years has been really tough, right? In a lot of different ways. And, you know, we've, we've had a lot of, of success, as I said, taking the challenge and turning it into an opportunity. Uh, and it's it's going to be a fun year because we we really took a long term view throughout all of COVID, and that's really paying dividends now, which which we're excited about. Right on. Well, this was so enjoyable, Drew. Thanks so much for being my guest today. Yeah, thank you. You take care. That's all for this episode. Our theme music is by Otis McDonald. Be sure to give us a rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to the Glossy Podcast. See you next week.